Hello everyone, welcome to the Brazilian Beat. Join us as we get to know the Brazilian percussion and music making community one interview at a time. This is Courtney. And this is Diana. Welcome back to us and to everybody else. It's been a while. <laughs> welcome back, us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it's been a long couple of months since we were last around and we apologize. Uh, but, you know, life happens and... Uh, but we're here and uh, excited to bring all kinds of new interviews. Mm -hmm. Yep. This is one I did while I was in Brazil, um, live and in person. So that was kind of exciting. But what's going on with you, Diana? What's new? I'm just ready for the spring and plan some maraca too. And um, yeah. yeah, just uh, enjoying the spring or that the spring to come. <laughs> it's still raining. We a have little a here. couple little teaser days. Yeah. The weather's teasing us. But we're ready. Yeah. yeah. So what's up with you? Um, I'm just, well, I'm moving. So I'm packing up everything, selling things. I bought a sewing machine from Courtney. <laughs> oh, that's right. I sold a tent. I'm trying to sell a drum set. Any takers um, out there? Yeah, I want a drum set. Uh, yeah, packing up the store. So that's a lot of stuff to pack up. Yeah. A lot of things to keep organized, but you know, it's good. Speaking of store, gosamba.net, everybody. Do you need percussion instruments? I brought back some cool Samba School heads from Brazil. And I brought back some straps. Well, I'm getting a bunch of straps. Got rainbow straps now. Got manguera straps now. Um, oh, I'm getting some Edgar de Gogos. Some quad bells, things like that. That's kind of exciting. And yeah. And Monica 2 stuff, don't forget. Monica 2 stuff is coming in. If you guys need um, Alphias, let me know soon. April 2019, if late April 2019, if you're out there, let me know. Uh, so you're getting you're getting Baja Ventu or you're getting yes. different stuff? I'm getting Baja Ventu and then also I'm going to try to get um, some of the lighter ones. I can't remember the name of the guy right now, but some of the ones that aren't quite as heavy. Abidio? Yes. Okay. Yes, some of some of those. Too. Okay, cool. So there's and I can get some of the Makaiba ones, but maybe that will come later. Those little heavy. <laughs> They're really heavy. People are just like, I don't care how they sound. I want it to be light. <laughs> <laughs> so, gotta give the people what they want. Yeah. So yeah, that's exciting. For... Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. buy a go buy at gosamba.net. That's right. Gosamba.net. And check gosamba.net on Facebook, Instagram, anywhere else, on the website. Cool. about one of the reasons why we have been kind of on hiatus. Um, so after Brazil camp, I um, noticed some things going on and I went to get it checked out and it uh, appeared that I had breast cancer. So uh, that was kind of a heavy thing going on. I actually work in a breast cancer, uh, or not a breast cancer, but I actually work in a cancer clinic um, here in Portland. So 
Luckily, I had all the right people to talk to and had lots of great input and things moved along really quickly as far as um, doing what I had to do. So I had surgery. I then went into radiation and did this on a daily basis for a month. It kind of, yeah, it was an intense couple of months. I still have some stuff coming up uh, that I need to do, but um, everything's good to go. (laughs) And you you work at one of the top cancer places in the country. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, they're like. I was really lucky to have some great people behind me. So, do uh, your due diligence, and if you notice anything, check it out, and um, yeah, don't avoid going to the doctor, because it's important that you have it taken care of as soon as possible. Men, women, everybody, take yeah. take note. Yeah, watch your body, because things happen. Yeah, to the best of us. I didn't ever think I'd, you know, I mean, I kind of did. It's kind of funny, like, in our department. You know, you always kind of think of, oh, my God, these poor people. But then, like, <laughs> I ended up being one of those people. And, um, right. yeah, and I'm kind of glad it did happen. Kind of, It kind of woke me up. And, mm. you know, I am appreciating things a lot more. And, yeah. In what ways? Um, <laughs> I'm going to start crying, Gordy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> He's trying to be like Barbara Walters and make me cry. <laughs> I'm going to interview you now. <laughs> uh, just, you know, appreciating what I have. You know, my friends, my family, um, they've been great. Um, the stuff that I'm still able to do, you know, I kind of, you know, not saying that it's it was easy, but I'm my recovery was a lot easier than some people have. And, you know, as, as I mentioned, I work in a cancer clinic, so I see, you know, terrible stuff happen. Um, so I know that it could be a lot worse. Um, so I'm really lucky. Yeah. yeah. So I, uh, and you weren't playing for a while there. No, 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 no. I, um, I had surgery on my left breast and I play Abe a lot. So it was very hard to get back. I still feel a lot of, not a lot, but I still feel, um, some residual, pain and uh, my stretch isn't as good as I want and I, there's some scar tissue so it feels kind of funny so yeah um I'm getting back into it so no. yeah you were playing you were playing what, a couple weeks ago yeah mm-hmm. yeah still trying to build mine rocking it during rocking the Ogbe. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know I'm glad to be back playing so yeah. so there's that that was how I felt spend the last couple of months. I was wanting yeah. to go to Brazil this January and all of this happened, so Yeah. Let's let's look to 2020. Yeah. To uh, a long, fun life full of Maraca too. Good friends. Lots of caipirinhas. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> A lot of podcasts. Yes, exactly. So I'm, I'm back in yeah. business. Yeah. I'm really glad you had the care you needed and support around you for all of that. Charlie was there for you. Yeah. 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 Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful.
So, um, Courtney, while I was while I was having surgery and treatment, Courtney was gallivanting in Brazil. <laughs> How was How your you gallivant? <laughs> How was your uh, second trip to Brazil? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, the same as last time. It was. Um... It was just too much to do every day, but um, my Portuguese is a little better. I knew how to get around the city a little better and had more confidence. And and yeah, it was it was wonderful. My friend um, Clarissa was there, so I saw her a few times. But a bunch of people. It was a number, a record amount of like Americans uh, and yes. specifically Brazil campers that were there this year. Record-breaking amounts. <laughs> of uh brazil campers were there it was kind of crazy i think we had 30 people on a wow. whatsapp group talking and, and coordinating and stuff yeah it was nuts wow but it was it was fun but uh couldn't go around the corner without saying somebody you knew I, run into, <laughs> I know and we would we'd run into each other randomly on the street sometimes it was kind of funny but uh yeah so that was good um see everybody and kind of dork out about things with everybody and and one particular person was clutch, was Sylvia Manrique. I mean, woman, you came through. She was so down to come with me and do interviews with a lot of these people. So we got a lot of interviews coming up that I did while in Brazil. And she was there to um, help translate for several of them. She's just so, her, her knowledge of the language and her memory to like, listen to these people talk and then remember what they said and remember the subtleties of what they said. Thank you so much, Sylvia, for all you've done to um, help us with translation. As well as her knowledge of the music. and Yes. Because uh, that's not always the case. I mean, some people might know how to translate, but they don't know, you know, the intricacies of, uh, you know. They don't know the names of the samba yeah. schools and they don't know the names of the popular mysteries or they don't know, you know, the drums or you know, whatever. So, yeah. But her knowledge of the of the music helps a lot. Yes. Um, Sylvia has helped with interviews with um, Alessandro Cardoso and um, some other folks at Brazil camp. So, uh, yeah, she's been very great. She's, yeah, she's a great um, translator and she's an awesome singer. If you ever get a chance, uh, she's, she's a great singer. Yeah. We took a tambourine class together. Oh, fun. At Patuki Digital, yeah. We uh, interviewed um, Clay Barris, and he was like, do you guys want to, there's a tam class coming up in like an hour. Do you guys want to take it for free? And we're like, sure. So <laughs> we did that. That's fun. Nice. Today, we are listening to the interview that I did in Brazil with Sahania, where um, Sylvia helped translate for this one. You'll hear her lovely voice. So a little bit about Sahania. Sahania Haiz grew up in a family of musicians and sambistas that originated in Imperio Serrano and Estacio de Sá. Since childhood, he demonstrated interest in various percussion instruments. He participated in Jodas de Samba that had some of the great samba personalities such as Jorge Aragao, Mon Monarco, Almir Guineto, Luis Carlos Davila, and Luis Melodia, to name a few. He has worked as a director of samba schools in the likes of Unidos da Tijuca, Unidos de Padre Miguel, Estacio de Sá, among others. He is part of the top tier of samba show group at City of Samba, which brings together the sambistas that are standouts in the Rio Carioca carnival scene. He is a professor of percussion at Petrobras, where he is the master of Impossible Bloco, a bloco created by officials of Petrobras. 
Currently, he is a musician playing in groups such as Tijero do Criolo, a Samba de Haiz group, and Batuki Digital. And you'll see him in videos of Batuki Digital playing along. He is a freelance percussionist. He offers personal percussion lessons. And he's also an honorary godfather of the bloco Camelos do Vila in Fortaleza. Since 2009, Sahenia has traveled across Europe teaching samba workshops along with his partner, Chris Quaid Coutu from Cologne Samba. And we interviewed Chris Quaid in episode 28, so go check that out. During these years of partnership, they went to countries such as France, Italy, Hungary, Austria, Poland, Germany, Russia, Denmark, Spain, Finland, uh, Sweden, Scotland, and Serbia, Portugal, and Japan. He went everywhere. <laughs> Basically all of Europe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should list the countries he didn't go to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, in 2010, they were invited to conduct a special workshop at the famous Music Conservatory in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. He continues to be a respected and driving force in the Rio Carnival scene. And just with for a, for a um, personal note, he is one of the nicest people I met. He's just genuine. He's kind. He's gentle. He's just a wonderful, wonderful guy. So if, and he's a great, I mean, he's like, this guy's like top notch. He's a great player. He's super well-respected all over Brazil. Everybody loves him and likes him. And yeah, it's, you'll hear, you'll hear, you'll, his gentleness and his beautiful soul comes through in this interview. Yeah. I've noticed when you posted pictures, um, you know, of the interview that people were like, oh my gosh, I love him. I love, he's great. You know, mm -hmm. he's the best. Yeah. 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 He just, his reputation precedes him for sure. He's just a, he's a wonderful person. And, uh, I'm really happy to bring this interview to you guys because people like this need exposure. They need, you guys need to know about him because, um, yeah, we need to bring him in the United States. We need to, um, have him come teach us. He's a Kaishin Sima dude, like specialist. He teaches that, um, that sounded silly. I don't know how to say it any better than he's just a really great person. And he's constantly trying, you'll hear in the interview, he's constantly trying to get better on how to teach people too. So he's constantly asking for feedback and, and because he's done that, he's gotten really good at teaching. Not a lot of, not everybody knows how to teach and he really, really does. So Right. He, you know, people can be awesome players, but they can't always be awesome teachers. So somebody who's like constantly um, trying to improve themselves like that is amazing. And he just has a lot of experience doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a rare gem for sure. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Sahin Haish. And thanks again, Sylvia. My name original is Ricardo. Mais Ricardo Cruz. Mais conhecido no mundo do percussão, do samba, como Serrinha Raiz. How did you get your nickname? O apelido Serrinha Raiz é a história do nome Serrinha Raiz. Do apelido Serrinha Raiz. Minha avó é de Madureira, lá da escola de samba Império Serrano. Uh, his, uh, the way he got his nickname is his grandma uh, is from Madureira and she's uh, part of the Escola uh, Imperio Serrano. E eu fui criado também um pouco com a minha avó e conheci, e fiz, tenho criação em Madureira 
E a Império Serrano é uma escola que é da comunidade chamada Serrinha. So, uh, he also grew up there and he grew up around Império Serrano Samba School, um, which is part of a community that's called Serrinha. E, e outra parte da minha família, parte de pai, é da Tijuca e criação no samba Estácio de Sá, que é a primeira escola de samba. Um, so his, on his dad's side, they're from Tijuca, uh, which is where Estácio de Sá is rooted. It's the first samba school that existed. E quando muito pequeno, na Estácio, quando eu comecei a andar no samba, três, quatro anos, muito pequeno. Então todos no Estácio falavam, você não é Estácio, você é Serrinha. E aí o nome Serrinha. Ah, tá. So when he was little, and he was like three or four already in the samba schools, people from Estácio would be like, you're not from Estácio, you're from Serrinha, which is where Imperio Serrano mm -hmm. is. E eu fico muito feliz por ter minha origem em dois lugares de uma cultura boa, de histórias do samba muito clássico. A primeira escola de samba, Estácio de Sá, e a Império Serrano, que é uma escola tradicional como Portela. E eu tenho orgulho de ter essa criação. So he's really proud of having those origins, right? Of having his background from two areas that are so um, connected to Samba, Estacio being the first ever Samba school, and Imperio Serrano being a school that is so rich in tradition, like, a, like and a, one of the big ones, like Portela. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. So did you play mostly as a kid? Did you spend most of your time in Imperio Serrano or with Estacio or both? É, você começou a tocar cedo e se você começou a tocar, aonde é que você começou a tocar? Então, eu comecei muito cedo, já, eu não me lembro, mas de muito bebê já to, fazia som de instrumentos, assim, objetos, mas eu comecei a tocar mais cedo, assim, na Estácio de Sá. So he remembers starting to play as a baby, just making noise with different objects, but officially he started playing as a, as a kid with Estácio de Sá. Did your parents play? Seus pais tocavam? Sim, meu pai saía, meu pai era da bateria, mas muito antigo da Estácio de Sá, e antes da Estácio de Sá ele tocava num bloco muito tradicional, que são os dois grandes blocos do Rio, Bafo da Onça e o Cacique de Ramos, meu pai saía no Bafo da Onça, que é um bloco de tradição, da onde surgiram toda a história do samba. Ah, uh, so yes, his dad did play a long time ago with Estácio de Sá, but he also played with blocos, which are two of the biggest, um, most uh, traditional samba blocos or blocos um, in Rio, which are sort of the origins of samba schools. So uh, Bafo da Onça and Cacique de Ramos. Um, blocos. São os, os blocos mais tradicionais que nós temos no Rio. E meu pai saía que antes do nome ser Estácio de Sá era Deixa Falar e depois vinha ser Unidos de São Carlos e hoje o nome é Estácio de Sá. Unidos de São Carlos. É, mas eu, antes era Deixa Falar, primeiro nome. 
Um, so before Estácio de Sá was Estácio de Sá, it was Deixa Falar, it was oh. a local, and then it became Unidos um, de São Carlos, and then it became Estácio de Sá, and his dad played since it was Deixa oh. Falar. And it was, I always hear it's the first, Estácio de Sá is the first samba school, so curious about that transition from bloco to, it just means they got a building, is that? Como é que se, que se o Deixa Falar é... O que, que é que define que uma, um bloco vire escola de samba? Então, a Estácio de Sá, é, hoje a Estácio de Sá, ela foi fundada pelo né, Ismael Silva. Uhum. É, e lá era reunião de sambistas, como toda aquela área, Catumbi, Santo Cristo, era como o centro da cidade, que tinha a história lá atrás dos malandros sambistas. Uhum. E o Ismael Silva fundou essa escola de samba, que na verdade o nome que hoje origina, é original que se dá a escola de samba, veio do Ismael Silva, uhum. porque não tinha o nome escola de samba. Ah, tá. Que lá era como foi, inclusive, a Estácio vem a ser a primeira escola de samba. Mas o primeiro grupo de samba mais antigo da Estácio se chama Vizinha Faladeira. Uhum. Dali surgiram, com Ismael Silva, a escola de samba, deixa eu falar, mas era porque tinha uma faculdade, uma universidade no bairro do Estácio. Hum. E aí o Ismael Silva falou, aqui é a escola, então aqui é, será a escola de samba. Ah, Daí surgiu o nome hoje, escola de samba. Ele falou, a deixa eu falar, será a escola do samba. Aí hoje todos têm esse nome de escola de samba. So, uh, so Ismael Silva was the one that started um, the whole concept of Escola de Samba, and the reason is um, where Deixa Falar is, right? There is Estácio de Sá, there's a university. So he came up with the idea that, okay, there's a school here, right? So the university, mm -hmm. there's a school there. Well, here it's a samba school, mm -hmm. like where people learn mm -hmm. how to play. And so that, that whole idea, that concept of Escola de Samba came from, or Samba School came from Ismael Silva. And Ismael was the leader of the bloco before yeah, that? Yeah, okay. exactly. He okay. uh, created Deixa Falar. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, interessante. E aí que surgiu essa Escola de Samba Deixa Falar, que foi crescendo e tomando tudo. So it just kept growing, from it, and so I guess with the evolution of you know, it growing in size and that kind of thing, they started to name, uh, you know, they changed names. Interesting. So how did that translate then from, so I think about all the different elements of a samba school. You have the bateria, you have the pachistas, you have the botabanderas and the mestres de sales. Like, did that sort of system, you know, all everybody's got those. Did that system evolve there? Uh, agora, hoje, hoje em dia, cada a escola tem esse, todos os mesmos elementos, né? Sim. Bateria, passistas. Isso saiu dos blocos também? Do... Isso, dessas reuniões de samba que fizeram toda essa organização. Uhum. Bateria, passista, casal de mestre-sala, porta-bandeira. Uhum. So, yeah, it did. Those elements were already part of the blocos. Ah, o que é Guarda? Baianas, as baianas. Yeah, the baianas, ah. São a velha guarda, que são os fundadores, os compositores, todo, todas as pessoas que 
fizeram parte desse surgimento das escolas uhum. antigos uhum. que hoje ainda estão vivos eles são o no nossos pais a velha guarda uhum. so yeah the velha guarda for those those who are listening who don't know what a velha guarda is those are the people that um, like the, the previous generation that have helped um, push the school forward so everybody from composers to like anybody older that's still alive that's um, part of the growth of the school so yeah all of those elements are part of the bloco interesting well. how long was the bloco around quantos anos estás não o bloco so he says that it was already a samba school it just it had a different name mm -hmm. uh, but 1928 was when it was founded and they already had a building já tinha quadra ou era assim só? Era, não era uma quadra, tinha um, um local, reunião, reunião desse samba. Uh -huh. E aí formaram-se como se fosse ali era quadra. Uh -huh. So it was, it was just a, a place where uh -huh. they would gather and that's, you know, where they would make all the plans and that kind of thing, but it wasn't necessarily a quadra the, the way that we know it today. It was... Um, a, a place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No local lá do, da comunidade do Morro de São Carlos. Mm. So it's in the uh, Morro de São Carlos, so the the area where um, that where that uh, escola was. That's where they just met and created that escola. Engraçado que toda essa história da minha vida, criado com a avó lá no Madureira. Mm e criado com meus pais aqui para Tijuca, mas eu nunca assim um momento com vó criado naquela comunidade, mas eu nunca morei em comunidade. Sério? Nunca. Sim. Conheço onde uhum. conheci aquela cultura do jongo da serrinha. Uhum. Então, o jongo vem a ser o pai do samba. É. Uma cultura um afro, tem um ritual, um respeito. Eu tenho muito respeito porque o pequeno via com a minha avó a história do jongo. Uhum. Uhum. E ali onde, é como nós falamos, o jongo é o pai do samba. Uhum. E eu fui criado assim, mas não vivi, sabe? Morei assim, na Tijuca, ali, Estácio. E sim, criado com, minha, com a minha avó nessa parte lá da Serrinha, que minha avó era imperiana, minha mãe era imperiana. Uhum. Mas é minha avó por parte de mãe. Uhum. É minha avó por parte de pai, já era aqui Estácio. Então a tradição vem, vem é. de longe, né? Vem de é. muitos anos atrás. É, eu nasci. Minha mãe grávida era passista. Ah, legal. No bloco Cacique de Ramos. E eu já na barriga já. <risos> eu não, antes de mim, meu irmão. Meu irmão já the tradition of samba is like way back in his family because his grandmother on his um, maternal side was uh, Imperio Serrano um, and his mom was a pasista so he was born like when he was she was dancing when he was in her belly so it was something that was um, it was just been something that's been part of his life his whole life. Can you explain the or like Django? 
being, I didn't know yes. what he said. Yeah, yeah, he said that the, that Jongo is the father of Samba. Pode explicar um pouco mais sobre o Jongo e, e como evoluiu para... É, assim, eu nem sonhava em nascer quando a história do Jongo, mas a história do Jongo tem uma coisa muito espiritual. Hum. É uma cultura onde que é, tinha regras para hum. entrar no Jongo. Hoje, quem ainda mantém essa tradição é a Tia Maria do Jongo, lá da Serrinha, ela hoje ainda mantém essa tradição. Então, o ritmo que é mais tocado para os ancestrais, para os orixás, é um ritmo afro, assim, claro, o nosso samba tem essa conexão. Mas é uma cultura onde que, é, todos nós temos que ter um respeito ao Jongo, que muitos não sabem, é, como se diz, o fundamento. A, a energia que se é tratado, o toque de jongo. Uhum. Então tudo surgiu dali. A batucada, mas só que é, era outro tipo de instrumento. So he's saying that, you know, jongo is is the father of samba, but it's a much more it's much tied much more tied to the spiritual side of Brazil Afro-Brazilian culture. So a very strong link to Orishas, to sort of the Afro, um, the African culture that um, Brazil obviously has. And so um, it's sort of a foundation for uh, for Samba. So that's why he thinks it's important not to forget that that's sort of that, that there's this energy connection between um, sort of Afro-Brazilian religion and, yeah. and Samba, even though Samba um, it's, it's a very similar rhythm, just with different instruments. Yeah. E, e as regras, os mais, os mais velhos preparavam as crianças para entrar. Não era como o samba, você vai e toca. Tem um ritual. Você preparar os mais novos para tocar o jongo. Toda parte tem que ter uma regra. Uh, and the difference with jongo, because of its um, link, it's spiritual link, right? It's, it's, um, it's, almost, it's almost a religious link to, um, to Afro-Brazilian religion. Um, there are rules and rituals that you have to follow to be able to play it. It's not like samba where you can just, um, or a samba school where you can just show up and be like, I want to play it. You have to, there are rituals that you have to follow. There's preparation for younger kids that are going to go into play. Um, there's a whole process related to that. You, you know, you can't just show up and play. How does that then um, mesh with the candomblé and the other African-derived religion? O jongo é ligado ao candomblé? Candomblé é uma candomblé, o sistema do candomblé é uma coisa. A cultura do jongo é outra. Claro que tem uma energia, uma mesma conexão do o respeito à entidade, o espiritual, mm. mas só que o candomblé já é outra história. Tá. So, candomblé is, is more of a religious, like it has a structure and a system, right? It's more of like a, a it's a religious group, right? A religion. Whereas the jongo is more of a, of a, it has a connection because obviously there's that energy, the energy connection with orishas and that kind of thing, but jongo is more of a cultural expression mm. rather than a, a traditional or like a religion as you would call yeah it. interesting it's, it's hard for us to parse those things out because we don't have any experience with that and everyone you hear 
Samba is derived from Candomblé. Samba is derived from Jongu. Like you hear all these different things, and it's hard for us to know like what. Yeah. Maybe it's all of it, or maybe yeah. it's a blend, you know, or, yeah. Or, or, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So he's saying it's it's very, um, it's it's completely separate, you know. Just he was using our the plates of snacks that we have in front of us, whereas you know one is a cookie and one is a peanut, and there's a limit to them meshing, right? So the candomblé is just separate from. Uh, from Jongo, even though, right, like these two things, they're both food, but they're separate. And so he's saying that there's a very similar energy because, of course, there's Odishas involved, mm -hmm. but there's, it's not, they're not necessarily related. So with Candomblé, there's a direct, um, there's a direct link with the Orishas, right? Like you, that's you seeking out a religion to be connected to the Orishas where Jongo is something used to um, to honor them, right? They may, they may protect that cultural expression, but it's not that connection that you're seeking as when you go to a Tehiru, when you're looking to connect with the Oishas. Mm -hmm. Jongo is just something um, that you do, you play and you honor them, but there's, no, there's not that uh, religious connection. Are there elements that like you can see in rhythms of Django that translate to the Samba schools? Like so for example, um, Junior Sapayo made a video with showing Atabakis and how that influenced Kaisha patterns in different mm -hmm. schools. Is there some sort of connection like that? Sim, então, essa parte como na parte de toques de candomblé. That's true. So candomblé rhythms um, each, you know, each toki, there's a different toki for each Odisha. And so there is uh, sort of that's the basis for Kaisha patterns. Um, and that's why you have different Kaisha patterns. Like Samba schools are identified by their Kaisha patterns because they come from a different Toki. So does that translate like these Samba schools were trying to originally identify with the Orisha and maybe still do? Yeah, então, Todas as escolas vão no, ter esse mesmo toque do orixá. Uh, it could be a basic pattern or something that is related to that rhythm that was for that orixá, because it's just a, a foundation. Um, but it, it, at, you know, it's sort of evolved into being just the kaisha pattern. There's nothing uh, linked yeah. to that anymore. Yeah, yeah. Mas isso é muito importante essas informações. É claro que cada um tem uma, um tipo de informação, mas as básicas que são essas, nem todas as escolas que tocam um, uma batida que lembra o orixá, ela tem alguma ligação direta. É, uhum. é só apenas o estilo do toque. É. So it's more of the style of, of the caixa, you know, it, it all comes from that, but at some point it just evolved into being neutral. É exemplo que o normal, o tradicional de tocar a caixa é embaixo. E vem do estilo, da postura. De... So he's given an example of how, you know, there's sort of these, it's a, it's a lot of oral history. Um, so it's a lot of um, evolution that you know the origins, but how it got to the present, you don't really know, like what twists and turns it took. So he's using this as an example, one of the things that he, that has been said, right, as, as a, a story of how it came to pass. Um, you know, the tradition of playing Kaisha in front 
um, is comes from a military playing playing drums um, in the military tradition. So the way that it, it evolved to playing on the kaisha on the shoulder, the way that some schools do now, supposedly is because there was a kaisha player that was being looked for by the police, and so he put the kaisha on his shoulder to hide his face mm -hmm. and realized that he could not only hear it better and he could had a better sound in his ear, but it was also more comfortable to play and, and move around. And that's how it came oh, to yeah. be. I've so, heard that story. So yeah. that's a, just an oral history yeah, of how yeah. Kaisha, came, you know, the Kaisha on the shoulder came yeah, to be. But yeah. he says that that's sort of the way, you know, the same way that he's talking about the Orishas and the link between Candomblé. It's an uh, oral history that evolves, but there's no way of truly knowing how it came. Like, there's no steps, right? Yeah. I think which is normal for, um, for African diaspora mm -hmm. history, right? Where it's not, a, you know, step one, this happens, step two, this happens, it's a lot of oral history. Even a lot of history that's written down, it's a made-up history, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've heard that in Sima's story before, and I'm curious if now, playing in Sima has kind of like a badass confrontation, you know? Like it's like, oh, I'm kind of, you know what I'm saying? E ela tá perguntando se tocar a caixa em cima é tipo uma é ligada com a ser malandro, né? Malandragem. Não, é, veio essa história. E agora, não que é vida malandragem, mas criou um estilo. É. Não é um charme, é um estilo. Agora é, é muito legal tocar é. caixa. Mas outras escolas, independente se a história é, é real, não mudaram a sua tradição hum. como... Mangueira, Mocidade, a Portela, a Império Serrano, Vila Isabel, são escolas que não mudaram essa tradição de tocar a caixa embaixo. Mm -hmm. Mantiveram isso. Yes, he's saying that it's just a, you know, it's just a style. It's just a, a preference, but there's a lot of schools like Portela, Mangueira, a lot of the traditional ones never changed the, mm -hmm. the way that they play. So it's just a, something that they chose to do. Yeah. E não, e não pretendem mudar and a ilha também. <laughs> and they probably won't change to yeah. shoulder caixa playing. Interesting. Um, so, tell us about you. Like, how, when did you start playing and, and what did you start playing? What's the history of, of you playing for Samba Schools? Então, a minha história é assim, eu acho não tenho, às vezes, a, a visão do que é a minha história. Mas, so um, he honestly, it's hard for him to think of how, like, the, a story from A to B of how he came to play percussion because it was something so natural in his family, having grown up with, you know, like he mentioned, his grandmother's in the samba tradition and these two schools that he really grew up around. Um, his older brother, who has since passed away, played um, kaisha and was really known for being a great kaisha player. Um, so he grew up in samba culture. It was never not part of his life. Um, and so it was something that it was inside of him from the very beginning. E ao passar do tempo, eu fui entrando na bateria desde pequeno. E hoje, como todos conhecem, o mestre Cissa. You know, as he mentioned, some, he was always in the samba culture, but um, around the 80s, in the mid or late 80s, he started playing in the baterias. Um, he credits 
Mestre Sisa um, for actually bringing him to a bateria and saying, no, you're, you know, you're, you're good, you're going to play with us. Um, and so from the late 80s until about 99, he was a hichimista and he played um, with the samba schools. And then um, between like 1999 and 2000, he actually became a director of bateria. So he was a director of bateria at Estacio de Sá, um, Unidos da Tijuca, and Unidos de Padre Miguel. So he was directing in those baterias, but also playing with a bunch of other baterias as a hichimista. So he did that for um, about 12 years. And always Caixa. You're kind of a Caixa specialist. Sempre Caixa. No, I toco um pouco de cada instrumento, mas eu peguei esse amor, essa Caixa de Guerra, porque a Estácio de Sá é uma escola com a com o nome das famosas caixas de guerra. Antigamente, a Estácio de Sá, quando falava Estácio de Sá, parte de bateria, falavam das, da batida de caixa de guerra do Estácio. Uhum. E eu peguei amor a esse instrumento. Tá. E por que eles chamam de caixa de guerra? Aí, porque eu não sei como... Caixa né, de banda marcial, ah, caixa. Tá. E aí, eu não sei se foi oriundo, porque caixa militar, caixa de guerra, uhum. é possível. Eu não sei exato quem denominou este nome, uhum. mas por ser caixa que tocávamos de, de militar, e daí caixa de guerra, é possível, mas eu não sei exato tá. o nome quem deu. Então, sim, ele faz muitos outros instrumentos, mas ele desenvolveu um grande amor por caixa. Um, and at Estacio de Sá they call it at Estacio de Sá they call it Caixa de Guerra, which is translates as war caixa. He thinks that comes from the fact that it's you know caixa is a the snare is a military instrument, so it comes from that. Um, but Estacio de Sá is known for their caixas de guerra, and he just developed a a love oh, for it. Oh, é, mas eu não sei exato. Hmm. E esse período quando eu me entrei na bateria em 2006, por aí, é, as pessoas começaram. A... Um, so in 2000, around 2006, uh, he met Chris Quaid Kotu, mm -hmm. um, and you know they sort of he sort of he met him at, in the Bateria Unidos da Tijuca. At, at this point, he's a director of the Caixa, um, and so Chris really liked his style, and so um, would would recommend him as a, you know, sort of a, somebody to teach Kaisha to people coming from Europe. Where's Chris from? He's from Germany. From Germany. So, from yeah. Um, so he would tell people about, about Sehinha and, you know, this and is there, when they, when you go to Rio, go yeah. see Sehinha. So his, so he started to just make these connections um, with people from Europe sort of clamoring to, to, to learn from him. Um, and he didn't have any experience with giving workshops or that kind of thing. He had just, you know, he'd been a, a director in the bateria. Um, but as, you know, he started to sort of make more connections, he gave his first workshop, I think in 2007, um, at the Unidos da Shizuka uh, Quadra. So a uh, workshop for... For like for Europeans, Europeans, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I th he, he really is... Um, grateful for that sort of transition because he says it, it opened like his mind just what what was opened because he thinks that in brazil there's sort of this um 
you know, the Brazilian culture looks at that people who play in, in the baterias, hichimistas, as n not being musicians. They're just hichimistas. Um, where he sort of, you know, through playing with Europeans and, and having the opportunity to share this, the culture, right, share the tradition of, of, of percu Brazilian percussion, um, he's, he really saw himself as a, as a musician, not only because he saw how people reacted to the, 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 the percussion, but also because he got a chance to travel the world and learn other cultures and learn other things about percussion. Um, and he started studying more music. Um, so he feels like that really opened, you know, his mind to, to really accepting that, you know, yeah, he is a musician and, yeah. What are the differences between teaching, say, like the Kaishas at, at Tejuka and like a group of, of gringos, you know, like, I mean, I'm sure like I would, I would imagine in Tijuca they already have a background and mm -hmm. kind of know, I don't know, maybe some people come in that don't, but, and then like, you know, some of the Europeans and people that are coming in know something, but mm -hmm. I'm just curious about the differences. Aqui da nossa cultura, existe muitos intimistas hoje tocam muito bem seu naipe, caixa ou repique, eu tava so he, he's saying that there's, um, you know, he sees, he didn't, he didn't make a, a, a judgment on which group is which, but he does think that there's a different times here in Brazil. They've got players, hichimistas, who really know how to play, even directors who play samba with instinct, right? Because they have such a background on it. But, you know, either they don't have a back background in theory, they don't really know a lot about the culture of samba they they but they play really well or you know but they're they have amazing technique and there could be a person who is really good um, who's not really good at playing it doesn't have a, an amazing technique um, but is really good at teaching or passing along information so he's just saying that you know there's there's variations of what a person can be good at. He didn't mention which is which, <laughs> um, but he does observe that there's the difference. I, Serrinha, Raiz, já veio da minha natureza o instinto do samba, da cultura do samba e outros ritmos brasileiros. Mas eu evoluí mais musicalmente, mais entender mais tecnicamente o samba com a educação do europeu, do americano, porque nós aqui no Brasil, eu queria muito que tivéssemos na escola mais coisa de música, hum. como na América, na Europa, que as escolas ensinam realmente. Você pode não trabalhar com música, mas você tem a noção de música. Hum. E aqui é mais da, do instinto do que você ter o conhecimento da música nas escolas. Hum. Um, so he, he thinks that a lot of, um, that in Brazil, there's a lot of focus on instinct, right? Because it is such a tradition that people grow up with. I mean, this, and this is not something he said, but as we know, there's rare, it's rare to find a Brazilian that doesn't know how to play at least something on the fandeiro. Um, but he's saying that, you know, he, because he's worked with Americans and Europe, or Europeans, um, who have much more interest in, tech, in um, theory and music, um, that he's felt like that has helped his music, musicality because of that 
emphasis on the education part of it. Mm -hmm. So he wishes that in Brazil there would be more of an emphasis on hmm. on traditional musical education. Interesting. Because you always hear Americans saying, oh no, you just gotta feel it. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. a lot of, you know, especially if people have done too, a lot of music background, like formal music education, they almost can't get away from having it written out and reading mm -hmm. it. Whereas like, you gotta kind of make that transition eventually, like into learning by rote, as they say, but it's yeah. interesting he's saying the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> a, gente, a gente lá fala, então, é pra gente o oposto, né? Porque a gente está chegando de outro lado, onde um, a gente tem muita, muito ênfase no, na teoria. Sim. E às vezes nem dá pra. Lá no Canva acontece, Sim. né? Que alguém, o, um mestre passa um desenho e eles escrevem. Sim. Aí o mestre, eles acham que é assim. Igual que uma música que você toca do começo até o final. Sim. Aí o mestre chama outra coisa é. e eles ficam completamente perdidos. Isso, temos esse problema aqui. <risos> e sim, também aqui. Mas eu falo que eu cada vez mais vejo que a informação do ritmo do samba é infinito. Porque quando eu conheço a cultura do seu país, do seu... Eu sei que ali eu posso buscar, é esse o meu estilo, uhum. que a informação de uma música, um ritmo clássico do, do seu país, do seu, eu sei que ali eu posso absorver, não tirando a origem do meu samba, mas que eu possa conectar algum ritmo para o meu. Uhum. E isso me enriquece mais de informação, porque aí, da sua cultura, da sua cultura, eu começo a ver meu samba um pouco mais sabe hum, uhum. e eu vejo que o samba parece uma coisa simples da, da música mas o samba é difícil yeah. parece fácil um, so he's saying that the the reason he you know the, the way he sees it different from us is because he because he has the strong roots in cult in in samba culture he feels like when he goes deep into somebody else's culture he can take things from that and apply to his, to samba tradition. Um, because he thinks that sometimes people think that samba, you know, especially here, they think samba is easy to play and easy to understand, but it's not. And so I guess the American tradition of like learning music as opposed to just waking up and playing it mm -hmm. is something that has really helped him um, evolve as a musician. What? When he taught his first class to gringos, how was that? How'd that go? How was that different than? Sim, assim, workshop eu senti, claro, aquele momento, primeira vez, até falar a mesma língua. So he said that, you know, originally he was obviously nervous because there's a language barrier, but he quickly realized that, you know, especially people, they were people who had already studied um, Brazilian percussion. Um, so he, you know, he spoke with a, you know, with with the kaisha, right? With what he, with the instrument. Um, but what he tried to, and he still tries to pass to his students is more of the, the roots of, of the, of how to swing. Um, he said that a lot of times he'll go to a workshop in Europe and, and he sees other, other people doing this, other mestres that go to workshops is that people want to learn paradinha, right? Because they, they stop, you know, the, it's like the star of the show. Right? When you do paradinhas, people, yeah, or they're flashy. Um, so people can play a paradinha, but then when you ask them to actually play a rhythm, 
there's no groove, there's no swing. And so what he tries to focus on is really helping people get those accents um, so that it, it grooves and swings like it does in Brazil. In the United States, a lot of people who end up playing samba were formerly playing in marching bands and drum corps, and we've been, like, it's been beaten into us to be very, like, metron, no swing at all, like, mm -hmm. very, like, tic, 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 like, you know. Yeah, ela fala que é difícil, às vezes, para os americanos, né, porque quem, quem toca caixa provavelmente tocou em uma banda militar, uma banda yeah. de faculdade, né? É, então que não tem swing nenhum. É, assim. <risos> e aí quando toca no grupos eu falo não falando da Europa ou da América, mas como nós falamos aqui gringos, sim. <risos> mas também tem muitos com nível nível alto de, 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 de samba melhor que muitos daqui, uhum. porque já começa a ter, entender onde que é o swing, porque eu acho importante é trabalhar o groove o swing, mostrar assim a quem vem ao Brasil como é a nossa língua uhum. não, ah, ok, fazer paradinha isso é bom, não, mas mostrar o, como é o ritmo uhum. e isso que é a informação que eu acho que é mais importante ele diz que há alguns ele pensa que há alguns quando ele fala sobre gringos ele também quer assegurar que as pessoas sabem que há alguns que vêm com essa sort of uh, professional knowledge, right, or from, like music theory knowledge, that really do, are able to translate that into the swing. Um, and that's why he thinks it's just so important to really focus on that, on that basic thing rather than showing flashy, flashy paradinhas and flashy things that you could do. Um, the fundamentals is what's most important. I have a friend who called it, he's also a drum corps nerd, and he um, called it the swing crisis. So you like, once you first start playing, you're like, oh, this is easy. And then you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's this whole other thing. And then you kind of have this crisis of trying to figure out how to make it happen. And you have to go back and learn again how to play. Yeah, but did you start, did you do marching band? Is that I did marching band and drum corps in uh -huh. high school and college. Yeah, de Sim. Mili tipo militar, Sim. né? Então ela fala que a, o, no começo ela também tinha um amigo que também começou nesse, nessa tradição e virou pro samba, mudou pro samba, que teve uma crise, né? Que não você conseguia. acha que é. Sabe. Sabe, e aí fica a crise de nossa, é mais difícil do que, do que eu achava. The swing crisis. É, o, o, o crise, a crise do swing. Yeah. Ela fala. A crise do swing. <risos> Eu entendo, mas é, mas aí que eu com o Cris fazemos muito esse trabalho e queremos mostrar para o mundo essa informação, hum. o que é o mais importante, não só as paradinhas. Exemplo, mostrar também para o mundo, que eu falo mais por mim, mostrar a diferença que samba reggae é samba reggae e samba é samba. Hum. Porque às vezes o europeu ou o americano, não sei, acho que... Claro, a mesma cultura nossa do Brasil, mas acho que tocar samba reggae já entende de samba e não. Exemplo, o festival de Cobo. É um, um festival grande, festival. Aí você entra, I love samba. E quando eu vou a Cobo, muitos grupos de samba, só samba reggae. Aí você hum. vê dois, três que tocam um pouco de samba. E quando nós vamos ao workshop, 
eu vejo que quando toca um samba reggae, ok, perfeito. Fazem perfeito. Agora, quando eu... Ritmo de samba. E eu falo, como vocês têm um nível bom de tocar samba reggae <risos> e não conseguem tocar samba que é só... E acham que, pelo som, samba reggae é muito mais difícil pelas informações de cada naipe. E quando vai no básico de samba, fica... Catástrofe. So he goes. He he thinks it's so. It's also very important to to teach those fundamentals because a lot of times in Europe there's not like a differentiation between some of the genres in Brazil, right? Because they see Brazil as sort of a monolithic mm -hmm. culture, and so he'll go to like a samba, like on like there'll be a thing like a workshop, like an I love this is I love samba, but it's all samba heggy. And so he wants to also show those fundamentals to show that there's a huge difference between yeah. those two genres, where so much so that he'll go to a workshop and the majority of groups are samba hege and they can swing really great and it sounds amazing, but you have them do samba and they can't do it and it's like a, a, a it's a disaster because they just don't have that. Um, you know the rhythm and you would think that it, he thinks it you think it would be easier right because. Samba Hegi so has so much more swing and it's it's just a little, you know more relaxed whereas samba is like one two one two. But it's frenetic. But it's frenetic. Yeah. Why? 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 Serinha, sorry, I don't know. Mas isso que é um grande trabalho. E eu sou grata ao samba de conhecer o mundo. Uhum. Conheci, eu gosto de ir ao seu país, conhecer uma música. Que por mais que eu viva no samba, minha cultura, minha vida é o samba, eu preciso de informações como, depois do samba, eu amo o jongo, claro, mas eu adoro maracatu e forró, pra mim. Maracatu e forró, depois do samba, jongo, pra mim. I like. Um, so he's saying that he's like super grateful to Samba because he's been able to travel the world and get to know the world and then um, but that he you know has other things that he really enjoys um, and you know he mentioned Jongo and Maracatu and Fojo that he you know that's also very important to him. Mas o Fojo tradicional, aquele clássico antigo, não atual. Eu gosto do raiz. raiz. Como eu falo, serrinha, raiz é porque é aquilo da raiz, entende? Uhum. Por isso que esse apelido serrinha, eu coloquei o raiz porque eu gosto da coisa original. Ele quer deixar claro que ele gosta do tradicional forró, não o que existe hoje, o mais popular, o pop. One. Um, And that's, you know, he thinks that it fits his last name. That's, that's why he put Haish as his last name, because mm -hmm. he likes the, the, the old stuff, mm -hmm. the, the roots stuff. E sobre, eu não sei, vocês tiveram a experiência. Você ter aula de samba em escola de samba é uma didática. E aqui no Batuque Digital, onde eu faço parte do grupo, o Batuque Digital... É como nós falamos, que é como futebol, é a seleção hum. dos melhores de, do, do Carnaval do Rio e é o grupo Batuque Digital. E alguns, como eu, agora não a Thalita, mas alguns diretores fazemos, damos aula. 
e a informação, a didática é diferente de você aprender na escola de samba. Porque na escola de samba você precisa... Toca, é assim... Assistir... É, e... toca, toma instrumento e toca. E você precisa... Não, ele não tem a informação como o nível que é na escola. Como, o batuque digital é como se fosse uma escola para você aprender a tocar um instrumento. Uhum. Uh, so he says that, you know, the thing about uh, batuque digital, you know, and I think, you know, the other day we, we also talked about how it's sort of the national team of, of samba, right, of real samba, because they bring the top, top people from the different samba schools. Um, and as opposed to where you learn, like if you go to a samba school and you learn as a youngster, they just give you the instrument and they're like, play, that's it. That's, that's, that's the extent of your education. Here's your instrument, Whoa. now learn. Whereas in Batuque Digital, there's more of an e effort to learn the, the basics, like yeah. technique and theory and that kind of thing. There's more of a, it's more of a traditional music school than the schooling that you would get or the lack, really lack of schooling you would get at um, the Sama schools. So I want to ask I want to ask you about that. You were like directors for a director for multiple schools, and then you were starting to teach Americans through Chris Quaid. You were traveling some and teaching. When did Batuki Digital kind of come? Is that a natural jump for you, or is there something else that we need to talk about before then in your, in your timeline? Uh, como, como você chegou a Batuki Digital? Porque você falou que você começou sendo Ritmista, depois não, você sim. evoluiu para ser diretor, depois você Isso. fez workshop. Como você chegou a Português Digital? Então, nessa minha história toda, né, todo mundo me conhece pelo Brasil, agora fora do Brasil, internacionalmente, dizendo. E quando o, respons... o Kleber Concar, que é o, o fundador do uhum. Batuque Digital, ele quando montou o Batuque Digital, ele selecionou os mestres de baterias como se fosse a seleção de futebol, exemplo. Uhum. E ele fez essa junção de todos que se destacam de nomes conhecidos e fez uma seleção de ritmistas, onde nós tocamos música eletrônica junto com a bateria. Uhum. E ele me fez esse convite para participar do grupo Batuque Digital. E nesse grupo Batuque Digital, onde eu faço vários shows com o Batuque Digital, ele montou esse estúdio onde ele destacou eu outro para dar aula, que ele sabe que tem experiência de dar aula nas oficinas do Batuque Digital. Foi assim que foi o convite. Tá. Uh, so when Clever started Batuque Digital, as you mentioned, he went and sort of selected um, the top people that he had heard of, that he had connections with. Um, and so Sahinha, at that point, he was pretty well known. He was well known for doing workshops in Europe. Um, so he, you know, he was even known outside of Brazil. Um, and so when Kleber, deci Kleber decided to put together um, the group, the, the first group that he talked about with, um, you know, having bateria with DJ, you know, it was one of the calls that he made was to Sahinha to come and participate. So he played. Um, and then he, you know, after that it evolved to the school part where he also chose some of the people who had been playing with him to teach. Um, and so that's where that invite also came from. That has been, um, so in, in my um, 
Bloco, the group I play with in Portland. Um, it's been around a really long time and people have been traveling to Brazil and trying to find lessons from people and Batuque Digital has been very important for them to um, have a place to find people who can teach, who can play really well and teach, and you can pay with a credit card. Those three things. Ela falou que o Portland, o grupo onde ela toca, o bloco que ela toca, já tem muitos anos vindo para o Brasil. Então sempre foi essa esse desejo de achar lugares onde fazer aulas. E acharam. E acharam agora, não só por os ritmistas, os professores que são bem profissionais, né, e conhecidos, mas também que são é, que querem ensinar aos aos que vêm de fora e também que aceitam cartão de crédito que ela gostou muito. Bom, é isso. Mas é isso que precisamos ter essa organização nas escolas de samba, porque as escolas de samba têm todo esse mecanismo, mas eu acho que algumas precisam ser mais é, profissional, não uhum. sei como dizer, como organizado, organizado isso. Uhum. Mas é, nossa cultura é um pouco enrolada. Assim. <risos> Desculpa, mas eu começo a aprender que para eu ser um bom músico, um bom profissional, tem que ser responsável e organizado. Uhum. Uhum. Uh, so he says that you know that's actually some, one of the things that is is a, a highlight of Batuque Digital is that it's organized well for the student. Um, where he thinks that um, he thinks that samba schools could have the very same organization with the right um, approach. So he thinks that unfortunately he's like he's like I want to make a judgment, but the Brazilian culture is a little bit, you know, uh, not as organized as they could be. Some of the samba schools are not as organized as they could be to be able to do a very similar thing where they're. Um, Yeah. Or organizing the education that yeah, same way. Yeah, that would probably, I never thought about that, but if some of the schools that are the most well-known outside, like in, like in the United States, I mean, outside of Brazil, if they if they worked out something like that, that would get a lot of attention. I think a lot of people would be into that. Eu, eu acho que pela nossa cultura, nosso samba, eu acho que nós mesmos, como eu tenho um exemplo lá de fora, Muitos não têm a noção como a nossa cultura lá fora é, é, é rica, é valorizada. Hum. E eu acho que nós aqui temos que fazer esse trabalho de organização, profissionalismo. E, e nós mesmos do Samba precisamos ser mais unidos. E nós precisamos ter essa educação. Hum. E às vezes temos alguns problemas que não conseguimos ter essa união para que a coisa seja mais... Mm-hmm. Um, he thinks that sometimes, uh, you know, and I think Kleber said the same thing, where um, the culture, the Brazilian culture, especially the musical culture, is much more valued outside of Brazil than it is inside of Brazil. And so he feels like sometimes that turns into a lack of organization, a lack of professionalism. Um, there you know sometimes a lack of unity because there there isn't that you know they don't even realize how um valued mu brazilian music is hmm. um, outside mm -hmm. of brazil i think a lot of people have said that mm -hmm. and when teachers come to california brazil camp they'll say 
they'll say like it's amazing how into this you guys are like how hard you guys are studying mm -hmm. and, and working on this é, é, ela falou acho que o, a, o Kleber falou a mesma coisa uh -huh. e também no camp às vezes uns uh, uns professores falam a mesma coisa né que a gente estuda uma uma ou duas semanas né e tipo mestria e o último que vai lá meu grande amigo é, ele vai lá e ele ele sempre fala nossa eu eu vejo almoçar e eu vejo a galera estudando Isso, o, coisa o que... desenho né a, a gente é, tem essa dedicação coisa que aqui já não é assim hum. não que aqui não não estou falando no geral tem muitos com essa educação tem muitas pessoas profissionais que são organizadas hum. Mas eu estou falando, por isso precisamos ser mais como é. o mestre Ailton, meu uhum. amigo, uhum. que eu admiro, percebeu isso. Uhum. Porque, porque na nossa natureza, acho que não precisa. Ah, é. Não vou estudar. É. E ele não acha que é uma... Ele não quer fazer como se fosse uma coisa general, cultural, mas ele acha que é porque... Porque eles têm isso tão em frente deles, é algo que está tão presente no dia a dia, they don't feel like they need to study. They don't feel like they need it, right? Whereas we have those moments that are so precious because we don't have them there year round, right. where we have to sort of, you know, um, what is it, drink by, from the fire hose, <laughs> as opposed to yeah. have it here, where it's here all the time. Right. It's accessible all the time. Eu sou grato a vocês, a todos que me dão essa oportunidade de sempre aprender. Eu nunca falo que eu vou ensinar. Uhum. Eu tenho o um sentimento que eu vou aprender. Uhum. Entende? Uhum. O pouco que eu conheço, o que eu sei de percussão, de samba, claro, e do samba eu começo a estudar outros tipos de ritmo, de instrumentos, mas sempre quando eu vou à Europa, a outros lugares, eu aprendo mais do que ensino. Uhum. Eu tenho esse sentimento que eu volto ao Brasil ou para o meu samba com mais evolução. E ele está dizendo que, you know, that's again, he's, um, he, he thinks he credits samba for making him a better musician because, you know, when he goes abroad, he's not only, um, he almost doesn't feel like he's teaching, he feels like he goes there to learn from people too, because then he comes back here to samba and he's, he sees it in a totally different way based on what he's seen out there and what he's learned from, from other cultures. Can you describe that a little bit more? Like what way he sees it differently? Like how? If you have an example of something that you learned or something that you picked from some trip that you used here, eu falo que não tem exato, assim, muitas coisas de cada lugar tem uma experiência que eu pego. Exemplo, eu fui no Japão. A cultura do Japão é outra história. Então a educação deles, como eles tratam você e no próprio workshop, aquela maneira me deixou impressionado. E eu catei uma forma de como eu me trabalhar nos lugares. Eu vou trabalhar assim, postura, hora, técnica, fazer foco. Uhum. Outros países, essa como você falou que o Ailton deu um exemplo, a dedicação é, é eu querer estudar, eu aprender. E cada país, no geral, 
me ajudou a ser mais aberto. Eu era aqui no meu mundo, como acontece com amigos que não conhecem o mundo, eu era fechado. Então isso me ajudou a evoluir o meu eu como pessoa, eu ser mais comunicativo, eu me organizar mais. Isso que me ajudou quando eu... Mm-hmm. So he says, he, he says that it's more of like a, a thing that he, you know, things that he picks up from other cultures, not necessarily like a, a musical thing, but it could be like, for example, he gave the example of going to Japan, whereas, you know, the culture there, uh, you know, is, is very different and the way that teachers are respected there is different. Um, and so he brought back some of those things where, you know, he's like, all right, I'm going to be more organized. You know, the class has to start on time. Uh, when you're in class, you're super focused. Things that not that maybe he didn't do before, um, and so he says that there are other cultures where he's learned other things um, that have opened his mind or, or changed him as a person. Not necessarily like in the just in the musical sense, but just as the way he approaches life in general. Como até propriamente a didática, eu aprendi mais fora a evoluir fazendo meus workshops, a didática. Eu tinha uma dificuldade de, de ensinar para níveis diferentes. Hum. E essa minha viagem me fez evoluir e aprender mais didática. Uhum. Entende? Então, ele diz também que ele ajudou a aprender como ensinar diferentemente. Ele disse que no começo, ele poderia ter problemas, mas apenas not a, a formal approach on how to teach different levels mm-hmm. of people, you know, of how people play, right? Like different, like from beginner to advanced. But now as he's um, been more focused on actually having a technique to teach um, because of his travels, he has a, a, a more formal approach on how he approaches his teaching. My friend Brian Davis, um, who lives in Portland and has been coming to Brazil forever, and he was talking about back in the day, he would, you know, he goes to Mosadaji a lot, and he would go to Mosadaji and see somebody who was a fabulous player playing, you know, and he's like, oh, can you show me how to do that? And the guy's like, yeah, sure. Like playing super fast. And he's like, no, can you like show me how you do that? And they were like, sure. And he's just like, wait, no, can you show me how you do that? Ela, ela tem um amigo que ele é uh, percussionista profissional e ele já tem muitos anos vindo para cá e tinha uma ligação com a escola de mocidade. mocidade. Aí ele tá, ficava olhando né, os, os ritmistas e pedia para alguém, ah, como é que você faz isso? Aí, ah, eu te posso ensinar. Aí ensinava e não dava nem para pegar, porque é. eles faziam tão rápido. E é, você tem... perguntava e não dava para passar a informação. É, é, é essa coisa de teoria, é didática. Como eu falei, muitos sabem tocar, mas não sabem passar uhum. como uhum. a célula por parte, primeira parte. Uhum. A segunda parte. Precisar ter essa linguagem, porque o que me ajudou mais ao mundo, que eu mostro que eu não falo só a língua, uhum. mas podemos falar a língua That's... na teoria, na prática, mm. e essa didática que me evoluiu, mm. e às vezes é, meu sentimento trocou, porque eu aprendi uma educação fora de didática, de workshop, mm. e às vezes quando eu chego aqui para ensinar alguns que já não tem essa educação é difícil, parece que no meu país eu não consigo falar minha <risos> língua, e outro país que eu não falo a língua a gente consegue falar, 
porque já está na educação como, ah, é assim. E o, o americano, o europeu, como tem outro sistema, eu absorvi isso para mim. E quando eu transmito a minha didática aqui, que eu busquei do americano, do europeu, já cria coisa difícil, que ele não consegue me entender. Eu falo, eu estou falando a minha língua? Tipo, entende? Você sabe, no começo, como você mencionou, há pessoas que não são boas em passar essa informação. Ele disse que foi quase you know the way that he's evolved as a teacher has has almost made it difficult for him to teach back in here in the samba schools the 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 regular tradition of just picking it up because he's so used to teaching um in a in a system where somebody does not speak the same language so they have to speak the language with the instrument um a more formal approach to teaching as probably a slower approach to teaching as opposed to the samba school where people just want, you know, they need to know the pattern and that kind of thing. But he's speaking the same language as them, but he finds it almost easier to teach foreigners now um, because of the evolution of his teaching style. You know, Mama D. Keita is um, a West African drummer from Guinea, and he is one of the, he had a huge impact on the United States, well, and Europe, everywhere, because he was one of the first people to um, allows, maybe not allow is not the right word, but the first person to work with a German person and then they wrote all the rhythms out because no one would write all the rhythms out because mm. they were like, oh, you can't write them out. But he was the first person to kind of help write it out and it helped, and, and kind of the first person to learn how to teach Westerners or I guess the Westerners, European dis mm. people, how to play, people who come from like a music theory background or, you know, mm. learning it in school kind of a thing. Mm. That's not really the right way I want to say that. But anyway, um, you know what I'm saying. But he uh, had a big impact. He, he was able to spread the like West African drumming tradition really widely because mm -hmm. of these elements that he, people were, had been asking for that for a long time. And he finally was like, yeah, sure. Like we can record it. Yes, we can record all the parts. Yes, we can write it down. And, mm -hmm. and he's traveled the world because he's been able to do that and teach. He, he definitely insists you need to learn from a teacher also, not just from recordings and, and that, but he's had a huge impact because he's learned how to teach mm -hmm. not just in West Africa but like oh. other people outside isso e o que é legal já é o lado de psicologia eu criei uma coisa que eu não percebi em mim eu estou num grupo e eu tenho uma leitura como exemplo vocês dois estão num grupo antes de qualquer aula quando eu passo minha visão em todos Parece que eu percebo o nível, como eu tenho que fazer didática com você, com uhum. ela. Às vezes eu sei que você pode ter um, uma informação mais rápida de pegar e ela mais lenta. Mas vocês estão no mesmo grupo. E eu sei na minha método uhum. como eu tenho que falar com você e como eu sei que eu tenho que falar com ela. Isso eu criei comigo. É uma pedagogia, mas de psicologia, uhum. que é a coisa de... Você pode ser mais rápido e ela mais lenta, mas eu preciso criar um método que os dois se conectam para não estressar você numa aula e ela, entendeu? E eu criei essa minha didática. Ele está dizendo que uma das coisas que ele aprendeu, e ele dá crédito a ensinar diferentes tipos de pessoas, you know, não só no Brasil, mas em todo o mundo, é que ele também tem a habilidade de perceber when how people learn so even if for example you and i do a class together and he knows that maybe you get a pattern more quickly than i do 
um, there's sort of a happy medium that he can adapt so that I don't f you know, get stressed out or demoralized and you don't feel frustrated because you're not learning as fast. He, he, you know, sort of you know, what Kleber said, that it was, uh, it's learning people skills yeah. and being able to understand what's going to draw the best out of someone. Example, uma aluna no Batuque Digital, ela chegou, ela faz aula de tamborim, caixa comigo. E toda vez ela faz aula comigo, com outros alunos, e eu faço uma coisa bem básica, bem básica. E quando ela pega, o exemplo, na aula de tamborim, quando ela pega o tamborim, eu explico bem devagar, tranquilo, isso, mas eu estou olhando ela, eu olho o seu jeito, e eu sinto que ela na sua cabeça fala que não vai conseguir. Uhum. E antes dela falar, quando ela pega o instrumento, ela serrinha assim, eu não sei, eu falei. Primeira parte, tire da sua cabeça que você não é capaz. Eu sei que você pode. Faça. E eu transmito essa energia uhum. e quando vê ela consegue fazer. Isso é bom para o professor passar, mostrar uhum. a segurança, não... Se é numa escola de samba, ah, toca! E a partir desse momento que eu comecei a trabalhar a mente dela para ela desbloquear que ela não é capaz, mm. ela começou a evoluir. Mm -hmm. uh, he, also, you know, I, the, he also mentioned that, uh, you know, the whole sort of, put, you know, push you into the deep water approach of the samba school, sometimes that can, um, that doesn't help students who maybe have like confidence issues because he has a student at Batuki Digital who takes Kaisha and tamborin with him. And so he will, you know, he'll explain things really slowly, but he can almost tell just from her energy that she doesn't think that she's going to be able to get it. And so the first thing that he does is, is sort of give them, give his students um, encouragement to say, you can do this. <laughs> you know, it's, it'll, it might take some time, but you have the ability, you have to get that out of your head that you can't do it because it is possible, you know, to do it. And that um, because he takes it slowly, because he he's encouraging, he's able to help her get to a place where he's she's you know she can realize oh yeah I, I just did that or I, I was able to to get that bachida um, where that doesn't that doesn't really happen at some yeah. school. It's like a it's a nice a gentle approach. A gentle approach, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Is so now that um, carnival is done. What what happens at samba schools? What's your role there? Does everything just end or? Agora que o carnaval acabou, quais são os planos? Os planos? What what happens like? So what e, do samba schools do? Like what? O que acontece também com as escolas de samba? Agora que o carnaval acabou, que 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 qual é o processo agora? Então nas escolas. Então então por parte. Agora vamos falar. Escolas de samba acabaram assim. Terminou o carnaval. Todas as escolas agora vão fazer uma parte de carros, essa história de desmanchar, essa parte de desmontar todo o carnaval. Eles já têm organizado o projeto do próximo carnaval. Então começam já a pensar cada escola, o seu enredo, para já preparar o carnaval do próximo ano. Então esse processo interno nas escolas não para. Isso é a parte do carnaval. Um, so he said it doesn't really end. Um, they might break down the sets and that kind of thing, like the car, the uh, the flows and all of that. 
Um, but the process of coming up with Carnaval and all of that begins right away. Um, identifying what the theme might be, um, you know, any administrative changes, that kind of thing, uh, that all starts to happen now. So internally, um, it doesn't really end at all. As, as the Kaisha person, is he in charge of taking care of the instruments and like making sure they're all put away nicely and you know what I'm saying? Like, instruments, você faz alguma, o diretor, por exemplo, de caixas, o que que ele faz? Ele, nesse momento que o carnaval acabou, ele faz, ele fica, ele tem que limpar as caixas, tem que fazer A princípio, tirando o mestre de bateria, Cada diretor, no período do carnaval, assim, trabalha nos ensaios todos, mas todos, às vezes, às vezes não, muito, da maior parte, não vive só de bateria, tem suas profissões. Então, acabou o carnaval, essa semana é hora de pausa, mas tem seu outro trabalho. E aí, vão com o mestre organizar o próximo mês, começar o ensaio para trabalhar ritmo, Aí vai ser ensaios de bateria. E aí começa esse processo de ensaio de bateria, ver quem vai poder desfilar. Aí é totalmente esse novo processo. Uhum. Ensaio de ritmo. Uhum. Próximo ao carnaval, espera o samba e cria paradinha. Uhum. Mas agora começa um mês, dois, três meses no máximo, essa pausa de uhum. bateria uhum. e começa o processo de ensaio. Uhum. So he says that in this, like immediately after Carnival, he says the the vast majority of, especially mestres, directors, they all have other jobs. Like really very few, if any, live just from being a Carnival or a bateria mestre. So he says that they return to their to their regular lives, um, but that you know within two or three months. At the very maximum three months, um, they'll be start um, ensayos again with just working rhythms. Mm. Um, you know, the the more um, specific things like paradinhas, that kind of thing comes later. Yeah. Um, but the ensayos just to mm -hmm. you know play rhythm and see who's going to play this year and who's any um, they have any openings like that kind of thing starts right almost right away a month two months from now. What happens to all the, I mean, there's so much stuff, like physical stuff, and, and that's going, going into those floats. Like, what happens to all that, like, decorations and all that stuff? It goes in the garbage. It's put in the trash? I mean, when we walked out of the, out of the sun ballroom, there's already. I know there's, like, fantasias and stuff, but, like, you know, when they're taking apart those cars, mm -hmm. like. As coisas das alegorias tem coisas que são jogadas fora e coisas que são aproveitadas. Sim, tem coisas que já não servem para esse carnaval. A principal coisa que eles usam as ferragens, a estrutura dos carros, algumas madeiras, né? Agora tem outras coisas que não servem mais. A lot of the stuff is repurposed, like the frames and wood and that kind of thing. They'll use again. Um, but there's stuff that they can't use again, so it goes back to the the Baja coin. Yeah, I uh, that Barodromo place. I don't know how to say that. Barodromo or whatever. Barodromo. They've got like stuff from the Barodromo cars in there. Yeah. Yeah. 
scenario. Yeah. They've got like a huge camel in there that's obviously from some foot. It's all gold and you can see that its head can move and all this stuff. Yeah. It's like so cool. Yeah. Like all that stuff. And it's legal. Yeah. It is. Pode falar, yeah. estou aqui. Yeah. It's a uh, Minha filha ainda feliz com carnaval. Yeah, yeah. Um what has been your happiest moment like in this whole you know you've had a lot of experiences playing in your, your entire life traveling and teaching like what has been your like ultimate happiest moment eu tenho alguns momentos importantes sobre esse sentimento exemplo alguns que são assim marcantes para mim na argentina existe um carnaval lá muito grande e eu sempre vou lá dar workshop e a escola de samba lá chamada Araberá é uma escola grande como Salgueiro, como Beija-Flor aqui lá tem um grande carnaval que muitos aqui não sabem, do hum. próprio Rio e é a primeira vez que eles me levaram à Argentina eu Serrinha não imaginava como eles me, assim, me, iam me tratar hum. E eu fiquei, esse primeiro ano, um pouco assustado, porque eles me tinham, assim, adoram o Carnaval do Rio. E eu fui tratado como um rei lá, assim, pessoas de chorar, de querer me tocar. Isso foi uma emoção muito grande para mim. Hum. Logo em seguida, quando eu cheguei aqui, todo assim, assustado, eu falei, eu não sou um Michael Jackson, e lá eu tava <risos> me sentindo como... E eu fiquei assustado, porque eu não... E eu sou simples. Hum. E eu fui depois, levei mestre Marcão, o ex-mestre do Salgueiro, levei o Lolo, mestre da Imperatriz, Tiago Diogo e o Kleber. Levei a rainha do carnaval e o rei Momo. E eu falei para ele, olha, eu lá sou como se fosse pro samba na Argentina, nessa parte da Argentina. Eles me tratam, nem eu sei que eu sou tão famoso. E eles vão, vocês vão comigo e vão ver como vocês vão ser tratados. E quando ele vê Klebe todos, eles não acreditaram naquilo que eles estavam. E hoje o Klebe, o Thiago Diogo, o Marcão, todos falam que todo o tempo que eles têm de samba Nunca tiveram hum. essa experiência. Uhum. Então isso foi um momento. Ah. Isso foi um momento que me marcou muito. Uhum. E isso me emocionou demais. Entende? Uhum. E eu fiquei ao mesmo tempo feliz por saber que eu faço um pouco de sucesso em algum lugar. <risos> Como no Ceará eu tenho um bloco em Fortaleza. Eu também tenho um bloco em Fortaleza, hum. ele vai fazer 10 anos esse bloco. E lá todo ano eu estou em Fortaleza e todos me tratam, sabe? Como... E às vezes eu falo, eu não sou isso tudo. E isso é o, é o momento marcante hum. da minha vida. So he's saying that one of the things that really made an impact on him is that, you know, when he went to Argentina, they have, a lot of people don't know that they have a carnival there. And he was working, doing workshops at um, Arabera. It was the Samba school. They have a Samba school there named Arabera. And the way that he was received by them, um, 
it was almost scary the way that you know he felt like just how how grateful they were how people wanted to you know be near him and talk to him he was almost like a a, a representation of samba of michael jackson like a celebrity um that it was almost like it was almost jarring for him because he's such a he just feels you know like he's just a simple you know very sincere person so for him to be treated that way it was just he didn't he was like whoa this is crazy um, and so when he took other people there, he took Mestri Mahkam there, and Kleber went there, and so he took other people, and he's like, you guys are going to see, <laughs> you know, he's like, I, I almost feel like a celebrity there. And, and people, and they did notice that this, that was the case. So he almost is like, well, at least I know that, you know, it's really evident that he's been able to have some success. Uh, and have an Im in having an impact there because of the way that he's treated. So that's something that he's he's he remembers the same way that um, he also has a bloco in Fortaleza that is very similar. Um, that you know he's he is treated super well when he goes there. So I think he thinks that those are the 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 memories that he really um, uh, appreciates and holds dear. Yeah. É um momento na Argentina, eu no hotel na Argentina e eu fui na janela, eu estava nesse hotel, quando eu fui na janela, essas pessoas que amam samba, e quando eu cheguei na janela, tinha pessoas lá como olhando, eu não acredito, pessoas estavam próximo ao hotel, como imagina o Michael Jackson no Copacabana Palace, todos na porta esperando aparecer na janela. Isso aconteceu comigo. Nossa. É, pessoas que trabalham limpando o hotel, posso tirar uma foto? Eu fico, eu sou serrinha, não tenho outra coisa. <risos> e pessoas esperando na porta do hotel para abraçar. Hum. O Kleber, ele queria chorar porque um menino pediu é, mensagem no grupo. Kleber, estou no hotel. Eu poderia falar com você? Eles estavam na porta do hotel. Aí o Kleber pensou, o que esse menino quer falar comigo? Eu não tenho dinheiro, exemplo. E quando o Kleber falou que desceu no hotel, ele olhou o Kleber, eu só queria um abraço. Então, coisas que para nossa realidade, o menino queria minha camisa. Aí eu fui para ele, Serrinha, eu não quero a camisa nova, eu quero a que você está usando. Isso para mim, eu queria não chorar. É. Uh, so he's saying that, you know, being treated like a celebrity in Argentina is something, you know, like he was at a hotel and he went out to the balcony and there were people waiting downstairs to meet them. Um, so he like went out to the balcony and people waving. Um, it was like very much like when Michael Jackson stayed at, you know, the, it would be like if he stayed at Copenhagen Palace and people waiting there. Um, he said that somebody to come down, and he, you know, a, a young guy, a young boy, and mm -hmm. He was like, what does this kid want? I'm like, I don't have any money. <laughs> he went downstairs and he was like, I just want a hug. Um, and so he gave him a hug and it was like something super touching. And somebody asked for um, yeah, a t-shirt from, from Sahenia. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I have some t-shirts upstairs. I'll give you. He's like, no, 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 I don't want that. He's like, I want the t-shirt you're wearing. Um, so he, he was like, it, you know, it makes people it makes them emotional because people take it so seriously yeah. and, and really um, appreciate them going to Argentina to participate. Interesting. In Argentina it's 
Only ba sole bateria, right? Only bateria? No. Not, some not? school. Ah, okay. Some school, big some school. And one other thing I guard for me is in Romania, you know? Close to Bucharest. He's talking about a, a, a story that, um, that really impacted him too when he was in Romania, in, near Bucharest. He had gone to do a contract where he was playing every night for almost three months, and he took some of the biggest, some of the bateria mestres were his bateria, <laughs> so it was like a really great bateria. Um, and they played every night, and every night, uh, this young guy, this young kid, uh, a boy, uh, uh, showed up every single night for the shows. Wow. Um, and he would arrive in a limousine with his mom. So he like assumed that he was like, a, you know, from a very, very rich family to the point where he had, you know, he, he came one night dressed um, very similar to what he was wearing. <laughs> and so, you know, he sort of just developed this you know, relationship with this little boy who came every day, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, and being a fan and being there, you know, sometimes he would sit with them and he would watch him. And then um, he, you know, when the end of the contract came, it was like the last show and his, you know, obviously the little boy was like super emotional that he was leaving and that kind of thing. And his mom was like, how much money do you want to stay? Uh, you know, offering him to say like anything that he wanted, and so what he found out, um, the tr the the interpreter told him later was that the re you know that the mom really wanted him to stay. The little boy had uh, leukemia, mm -hmm. so he really just she wanted to like give him this, you know, opportunity to keep watching the show and to sort of keep learning, keep you know have Sehinya be near. Um, so he just says that that's something that he'll never forget because you know he doesn't even know now if if the little boy was you know is alive or whatever. But it was just something that he'll never ever forget. Yeah. Well. Também eu dou aula a um garoto que ele é autista. Agora eu dou aula a ele e ele estava muito fechado no início da aula. Agora sempre a mãe dele hoje não. Sempre a mãe dele manda mensagem. Me agradecendo que o filho dela está evoluindo, ele está mais aberto às pessoas, ele tem um nível de tocar até melhor que muitas pessoas. E a mãe dele fala assim, eu não sabia que a sua aula, a sua pessoa, está ajudando meu filho, ele está muito evoluído, ele não era assim, ele é autista, né? E você está fazendo um bem ao meu filho. Isso que eu falo que o samba me me faz ter mm -hmm. essas coisas esse momento que eu fico feliz por mm -hmm. isso sabe uh, he also has a student um, who is autistic um, and he says that his mom has really you know as a result of playing percussion he says sometimes he has a better understanding of the rhythms than a lot of you know his other students and his mother has noticed that um, he has um, he has evolved outside of you know obviously the music but in being more open or more communicative or things like that, it has definitely the drumming has had an impact on his on his life. So he is really happy to have that. E o meu sonho com toda essa minha história para terminar essa história minha assim é que como aqui no Brasil no Rio todos me conhecem gostam de mim claro Deus não agradou a todos 
mas é muito difícil politicamente. Mas minha vontade era ter um local, um espaço onde eu vou às comunidades pegar essas crianças que é talentosas, mas que não têm atenção e trazer para esse espaço para interagir, não só da batucada, mas aprender informática, dança, arte. Porque eu vejo que tem crianças em comunidade que está lá, não tem atenção e acaba indo para outro mundo. Mas eu, eu não tenho quem possa ajudar, mas meu sonho era poder fazer isso. Sim. Que isso vai ajudar o mundo melhor, a diminuir essas pessoas que vão para outro mundo. Do meu samba, do carinho que eu tenho, uhum. pegar todas essas crianças, dar atenção, uhum. dar percussão, da percussão a qualquer arte, para isso faz evoluir o mundo melhor. Uhum. Eu tenho um sonho desse projeto. Ele está dizendo que agora ele está falando sobre o que ele fez e como ele chegou onde ele chegou. Ele quer falar sobre os seus planos futuros. E o seu maior sonho para o futuro é criar um programa em que ele traz crianças das favelas, das comunidades who don't have the attention that they, you know, that they need at home, to bring them, teach them percussion, use that as sort of an entry to whatever art they want to do, um, and give them through music um, attention so that they, um, you know, they can feel like they belong and have some sort of community. So that's his biggest, uh, to be able through Samba, be able to give back um, and, and create you know uh, something that will better the the world so it's a project he's working on well it's his dream my dreams it's a good one uh -huh. <laughs> yeah it's a good one e isso pode surgir muitos outros talentos que vão para o mundo existem pequenos projetos de pessoas de comunidade grupos mas se todos, assim, grandes empresas, empresários ajudassem, eu, eu com certeza uhum. ia ajudar o mundo, o melhor, o meu Rio, o meu Brasil, uhum. a fazer o bem. Uhum. He, yeah, he says that from corporations and that kind of thing to just make it something that's a lot bigger mm -hmm. that can really make an impact um, because especially he was talking about getting kids from communities where they you know where you can recognize that they have talent but they don't have the attention that they need to be able to put that talent to good use is there anything that you want to say that I haven't asked you Posso mandar, meu, uso muito Instagram, Serrinha Raiz, meu Instagram, tem dois, mas é o que tem minha foto, esse é o que eu mais uso. E muitos, eu tenho lá abandonado um canal, mas eu não tenho um canal. Muitos aqui no Rio querem que eu faça um canal no YouTube, como o trabalho de Thalita, para ter mais informações, mas é como eu falo, eu quero ser pelo meu nome, como todos me conhecem, eu não quero fazer uma coisa qualquer. Eu preciso de alguém aqui no Rio que me organize para ter uma, um canal no YouTube, 
direito, com mais informações. Mas algumas coisas dos meus trabalhos é no Instagram, hum. Serrinha Raiz. Hum. Pode divulgar isso lá. Então, se alguém quiser saber mais sobre o que ele faz e onde ele está, ele tem um Instagram, Serrinha Raiz. Tem um pouco de diferentes que são nomes mas é um com o seu face. Vamos ver se ele tem um link para isso. Ele tem um canal de YouTube que tem algumas coisas no ele, mas ele está pensando em começar um canal oficial de YouTube. Ele está só procurando o right. Um, you know, the right moment to do something that's worthy, you know, of, of so people will watch it and that kind of thing, so it's produced well. Um, so it's in his mind to, to do something like that very soon, but find eu him tem, on Instagram. I have videos on YouTube, but it's a little more professional. Professional, uh-huh. And I have this phrase, Som pelo mundo. Ah, yeah. And his, uh, he's got his, uh, his I guess you would say um, mantra, which is sound in sound around the world, that we said at the in that video. Oh so. right, yeah, yeah. É por causa que eu ando mundo, conheço outros ritmos e faço essa conexão do meu samba com outros ritmos. Por isso que eu falo som pelo mundo. Yeah, uh, he says that's his mantra because he, like he said, he goes around sharing his rhythm. So Make, you know, taking what he learns from other people and that kind of thing, so he takes it around the world. Thank you for being here and talking to us, sharing. Obrigado. Yeah. Yeah. Espero ter o prazer de encontrar novamente no Brasil, ou quem sabe lá. Yeah. Vamos! <laughs> Please. <laughs>also so we will um we have links to those on on the episode page also he's going to start a youtube channel soon so keep looking out for that um and he's there's a few videos of him on uh talita santos channel of them playing together so we'll post those too so yeah go check him out um so once again we'd like to give a shout out to sylvia for helping with the translation um on this and other um, interviews she will probably be helping with some at camp as well this summer so thank you sylvia so here are a couple of announcements that we have speaking of brazil camp um you can still register for brazil camp calbrazilcamp.com there's some amazing um faculty that's going to be there if you're a singer a dancer a drummer everything you want is there <laughs> it's a week long or actually it could be a two week long <clears throat> experience in the redwoods and it's amazing if you've listened to any of our other podcasts you know that uh, we go on and on about brazil camp because it's such an amazing experience um, and if you go you might be witness to uh, disco in the redwoods so <laughs> so 
if that's not enough to entice you, yeah. If that's not (laughs) enough to entice you, I don't know what is. But uh, yes, Brazil Camp, there's still time to register. And I think early registration is still available through May 8th or something like that. Is it? I need to do that. Yeah. I haven't registered yet. Um, Also, for our friends in the Bay Area, Maracatu Pacifico is holding a fundraiser um, coming up. April 27th in Oakland. So if you're listening to it afterwards, sorry, but um, um, they're doing a fundraiser, um, silent auction, all kinds of stuff, trying to raise Hmm. some funds for their group, you know. Are Um, they having like an event? Yeah. Um, So if you want to check that out, they have um, information on Facebook. Uh, Just look for Marica 2 Pacifico, P-A-C-I-F-I-C-O. That's April 27th. Go, Eric. And Good then work. our friend Scott Kettner in on the East Coast is having his rhythm retreat um, in Pennsylvania at the end of July. I think that's the weekend of July 26th and 28th. Um, sounds like a good time. All kinds of um, stuff happening. Um, I think he's going to have dance and music. And um, awesome. yeah, so if you're on the East Coast and looking for some Brazil stuff going on, uh, check out Scott Kettner's Facebook page. Um, Is it mostly Marika too at this um, retreat? Do you know? I well, we'll have to check it out on the Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you have questions, feel free to Scott to contact Scott. I'm sure he'd love to talk about the rhythm retreat. Um, that's July 26th and 28th in Pennsylvania. Yeah, he also he's got a lot going on. He's also got WorldDrumLessons.com. So if you guys go check that out. He's got really great um, lessons there. In Pandeiro, in Triangle, Maracatu, Maracatu for drum set. Like, he's just doing a lot. He's also got a new um, album coming out that they're working on with uh, Nation Beat, his band. So check that out, too. Um, he's just a busy guy. Yeah, he I don't is. Know how he gets it all done. He does it all. But anyway, go, Scott, go! <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to thank everybody following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We don't tweet as much, but um, I'm heavily involved in following NBA Twitter. So, <laughs> so uh, go Blazers! I'll give my Blazer shout out. Um, so just keep following us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you know, if you have videos of your group that you'd like to share, please send them our way and we'll post them on our wall. Yeah. Um, or if you have video or, I mean, audio, um, you know, we want to hear you. Yeah. Yeah, do it. Let us know you're out there. Let us know what you're doing. Let us know what you're up to. Are you doing a fundraiser for your group? Let us know. We'll help yeah. you. Yeah. We'll help we'll, you promote. Exactly. Free promotion. That's what we're here for. Um, we'd like you to rate us on Apple Podcasts if you're if that's the player that you use um give us a five star rating since you love our podcast even though we haven't been here for months you love us we know you love us um so yes rate us on apple podcasts you can find us at www.thebrazilianbeat.com that's where we post all these show notes and photos of our guests you can see photos of us we gotta put up some new photos oh, yeah. those photos are old and weird um <laughs> you can email us at thebrazilianbeat at gmail.com and uh yeah we'll find us on twitter facebook and instagram and uh yeah, thanks for listening i don't think so yeah it's good to be back um we'll have more exciting interviews 
Cor- we'll try to be more regular. Yeah, Courtney recorded a lot um, while she was in Brazil, so we're looking forward to putting those out. Yeah, yeah. Some exciting ones. <laughs> Great. All right. Ciao. Ciao.